All right, Paul, come into the office, but I must warn you, things are a little bit different this week. See if you can find me. Oh, uh, thanks, Dr. Halal Sandwich. Um, well, it, wh- why is it so dark? I am testing you this week, Paul. I am trying to get to the source of some of your DCOCD. Okay, okay. Um, I'll just go across. Okay, careful. That's Sorry. That, that's a bit of practice antique. I'm just going to f- sit in this chair. Oh, oh. <laughs> Hello, doctor. <laughs> Yes, uh, that will cost you extra. Uh, but anyway, I think we might be dealing with your nactophobia, or some people call it nyctophobia. Uh, it's uh, a phobia characterized by a severe fear of the dark. I, I've, I've been wondering if this, if we can tackle a phobia at a time, if we just get rid of them one by one each week, then maybe we will cure you of your DCOCD. So I probably should have asked before we began this session. Are you scared of the dark? Paul? Paul? Where? Uh, where's he gone? Yeah, I like that. You know what I mean? It's kind of flat and like a... What's up? What's up? Check it. And welcome to DCOCD, the DC Events Podcast, where we're reviewing and rating every single DC event from Crisis on Infinite Earths on up, uh, in order, and we're giving them a score, and we're comparing them to each other. And this week, we have come across the final night from 1996, so heading on to the the back half of the 90s, and this was a four-issue weekly series that came out in September of 1996, and it had one special, and there were 19 issues that tied into it, and... uh, and there's a bit of a coder issue as well, so around 20 issues, something like that. Mm, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it was written by Carl Kiesel, uh, penciled by Stuart Immerman, uh, inked by Jose Marzen Jr., lettered by Gaspar Saladino, and coloured by Lee Loffridge and Patricia Molliville, and it was also edited by Dan Thorsland. So, Mike, what's the final night all about? Well, Paul, a giant extraterrestrial being known as the Sun Eater has arrived in our universe to devour our sun. <gasps> Wow. Oh, sorry. Wrong show. Uh, (laughs) An alien woman named Dusk crash lands in Metropolis to warn the DCU heroes, having previously witnessed other worlds die as a result of the Sun Eater's hunger. And just as all seems lost, the day is saved by an unexpected sacrifice from... Should I spoil it? Should I? Uh, Yeah, I think we have to talk about it. So, yeah. Uh, Parallax. Parallax? Yes, Parallax. Who the hell is Parallax? Parallax is... Evil Hal Jordan, when Hal Jordan Ah. went mad with the destruction of Coast City and sought help from the Green Lantern Corps, they wouldn't help him, so he basically went on a killing spree and took every Green Lantern ring he could get his hands on, turned into the villain Parallax as he went more and more mad, um, and basically the rest of the DC heroes had to beat him down. Mm. So after years and years as a jerk, he finally went evil, so that's the Hal Jordan story. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) 
pretty much. <laughs> but then he kind of comes good, kind of comes good again in this. Yeah. Yeah. So th- this is um the uh, the da- disaster movie event, really, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. Yes. It's 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 literally the sun is going out, and you know how is the world going to survive? Will the world survive with this thing that it's not really? Uh, one, one of the things I like about it is that it's not a villain with a convoluted backstory or a mission out to, you know, take over the world. It's just this alien being that just goes around eating suns and it's just mm-hmm. turned up and it's just doing what it does. Yeah. Um, and somehow the, the heroes of the day have got to, you know, figure out how to stop that from happening to save the planet. Yeah, yum, yum, eat your sun. That's what he says. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, that's exactly, that's his one line in the entire event. <laughs> <laughs> the big grin on his face. That's all that Sonny just says. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so this is a very... I mean, it's it's a good crossover in that it's kind of different. I mean, it doesn't have that many tie-ins compared to some of the early ones. Like, it doesn't no. go the full expanse of the DC Universe. But, I mean, it's, it's sort of interesting, though, that the DC Universe was going through a few changes at this point. Like, the Justice League titles had wrapped up and... Mm-hmm. Uh, there was something coming around the corner uh, to revive the Justice League, and it's a little something called JLA with uh, Grant Morrison and Ooh. Howard Porter and John Dell. And so, yeah, this is just before that. And in a way, this title, it's, it felt like a little bit of a house cleaner for, you mm-hmm. know, just some of the things. So the times that happen, there's a lot of variance in them. Like, a lot of them are just about superheroes getting to rescue people and just help people where they are, you know, and some opportunistic villaining, etc. But, you know, mostly the dangers in this are people freezing to death, running out of food, having no energy, mm-hmm. um, ice everywhere, snow everywhere, you know, storms. You know, what, what can the heroes do about that? So, yeah. you know, it was an interesting time in the DC Universe. And, you know, we've got uh, the new Green Arrow running around. Connor Hawke is now Green Arrow after the death of his dad. Yes, true. Yeah. And oh, Tachyon. Tachyon. <laughs> Anyone remember Tachyon? <laughs> well, actually, no. I've I've never read Tachyon. I can't even recall anything Tachyon may have appeared in. Clue me in, please, Paul. Uh, Tachyon was sort of uh, a character that was sort of tacked on to the new god, so I think that's where he's got his name. Um, right. Yeah, and he was he, he was like a just a superpowered guy. I think it spun out of... Um, I think John Byrne was doing the new gods at this point, So, but they weren't involved in the crossover, but sort of Tachyon mm. was sort of spun out of that, and I could be wrong and I don't really care. <laughs> but apart from that, uh, the, there's another thing of interest, is that the Legion of Superheroes, a whole bunch of Legion of Superhero characters who are just hanging around in the current day at this point. They went yes. back in time for some reason, and they're all hanging around. Um, and that has a little bit of resonance, because um, the Sun Eater is actually a classic uh, Legion of Superheroes villain, who... Um, right! Yeah, back in the late 60s was going around eating suns going yum yum eat your son Uh, and he was uh, the sun eater was actually responsible for the death of uh, one of the Legion of Superheroes characters in the olden days and that was a pharaoh lad or you know Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, there's a, they play with that now because there's sort of continuity has been reset and there's a pharaoh load running around in this story and it really sets him up as though he's going to go and sacrifice himself to save the day. And they, mm. I think they play with everyone's expectations that, you know, oh, that happened to pharaoh lad back in Adventure Comics 353. So, you know, it's going to happen here again. And it's a bit of a swerve. So, it's one of the things that it's a nod for the the old-time readers. So, interesting. That's really cool because I, I have to admit... 
This was actually the first time I'd read The Final Light, thanks to your generous gift of, of the four-parter. Thank you, Paul. Um, the only instance I'd read anything to do with The Final Light was um, from my beloved Hitman series, issue eight, uh, <laughs> where, where where Tommy and his, his assassin friends are sitting around in, in the pub uh, telling stories of, you know, when they almost bought it, when they almost died, um, and sort of waiting out, you know, the end of the world sort of thing. Uh, and I did have Detective Comics 703 at some point, but I can't remember everything that happened to that, but I think it was typical, you know, Batman and the family running around trying to help people in, in horrible conditions. Um, for some reason, I don't have that issue anymore. Weird. Uh-huh. But but yeah, Hit, Hitman number eight was pretty much the only thing I clearly recalled from this story, um, and I read it again uh, before... You know, we recorded this just for laughs. I forgot there's a hilarious scene with Hacken um, killing <laughs> chickens. Uh, so that was that was fun. But yeah, I, th- this was all new to me, and I didn't really expect. Um, I was surprised to see the Legion in there because um, normally they don't tend to appear too much in, I guess, present day set stories in the DCU. So that was a nice surprise, uh, and it's it's interesting to hear the tie-in back to the original. Legion of Superior story with... I had no idea Sun Eater had been around before. So there you go. We're all learning something. Oh, wow, yeah. And, uh, yeah, at this stage, the Spectre... I think the Spectre end, spends a lot of time inside the Earth uh, trying to nurture the uh, the Earth mother Gaia and just keep the Earth yes. alive because mm. uh, the sun's gone out, so everything's freezing. But, you know, he, he intervenes to try and stop... Uh, yeah, her dying, which, I mean, mm. keeps the Earth alive just in time. And then, you know, Hal Jordan is doing a little bit of soul-searching house cleaning, and, you know, say, am I really a bad guy? Well, yes, you killed all those people. Um, yeah. Yeah, so you yeah. are. But, you know, don't <laughs> worry. This will eventually lead to Jeff Johns fixing everything for you. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this, I mean, it's an occupier. This is just a solid occupier. It gives um, lots Agreed. of books something yep. to do. And it tells an interesting story. And it really is a nice change of pace compared to all the other events. It's, you know, there's no outside world threat ending villain coming into this. It's just, yeah, the, you know, yeah. the Sun Eater is a force of nature. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just traveling through the universe, gobbling suns. It, it was a good opportunity. I mean, they, they had to do something with Hal Jordan. Surely when they sent him back, it wasn't, this will be forever. The, you know, what can you do? And so he gets to do a heroic sacrifice and to sort of, yeah. you know, start to atone for the, you know, the evil that he's committed as parallax and going nuts. And, you know, this leads, you know, this is part of the journey. So you do get this seam of Hal Jordan stories that go, and Green Lantern stories that happen in events. And, you know, this is one of the key points for that. So the mm-hmm. death of Superman, Hal, you know, leads to Hal going nuts. And then in this one, he sacrifices himself. Um, and then he, the next stop in his life, um, comes up in the uh, Day of Judgment uh, crossover. Yes, so, that's true. So, uh, plenty more Hal Jordan stuff to come out of this. So, mm-hmm. so uh, what do you think were the uh, the best, biggest moments in this series? What was your favourite bit? I had a couple of them. The ger- there's a scene where uh, the Phantom Stranger is taking the alien woman Dusk on a journey around the world, I, I guess, um, showing the heroes doing their best to-, to try and make a difference despite the situation. I really like that scene. Um, there's, I think it's an issue three of the 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 miniseries that that happens and there's like a really cool double page spread as uh, they're journeying around and the heroes are doing their bit. I really like that bit. Um, Lex Luthor 
plays a decent part in this, and I really love the snark <laughs> he has towards the heroes, uh, especially yeah. towards Brainiac and the Flash. There's the, a the scene where the Flash makes some, you know, witty quip about, you know, how fast he could do something, and Luther shoots back with something like, thank you for that completely unnecessary information, Flash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Luther's riding high here because uh, he got his... He, he, like. In the history of Luther, he got a kryptonite ring and that um, he it caused him to sort of basically die of cancer. And then he had a clone body mm. and he came back as his own Aussie son. Um, oh, God. With head of hair. And then uh, I think out of Underworld Unleashed, he was able to rejuvenate his original body and, uh, you know, come back. And I think he's just riding high in the arrogance of, I've returned and I know all the answers and you guys all suck. And <laughs> Yeah, and I love the bit at the end where basically, uh, you know, they've got the plan to save the day, and uh, you know they said whoever's going to do it can die, and everyone goes, well, you could do it because you know how, and it's like, you know, after all his arrogance, he's like, no, screw that, I'm not going to die. <laughs> yeah. That was very cool to see. Um, we have to, well, I have to mention Parallax's sacrifice. You know, that was the the thing that saved the day. Um, did it completely redeem Hal Jordan for what he did to the Green Lantern Corps? No, I don't think so. It, it it's and it makes amends somewhat, but yeah, he's still a massive jerk. I think my favourite thing about Final Night, though, is that there's this really well done um, human element to it. That that's that's to say, we're actually seeing how the global crisis is affecting the common person on the street. You know, some of them um, are having end of the world parties. You know, a little boy just wants to keep his mother warm, but he accidentally burns down their building. Pe- people are trying to find food and and shelter and warmth. So it's like. The world's in peril and, and the heroes are fighting to save that day, but it's seeing the way that, yeah, that just normal people are dealing with the Sun Eater. And that, that's some of the my favourite stuff from it. It's it's not just some, you know, grand adventure in outer space and it's not just some, you know, secret clandestine war between superpowered beings. It actually shows that everyone on Earth is being affected. And I just don't think we get to see enough of that in some of these big events. It's like, it's awesome that the heroes are fighting to save us all, but we don't always get to see the human side of it, which is something I really enjoyed in Final Night. Yeah, no, it's really strong. And you've got the added issue of, like, Superman is solar-powered, so when the sun's gone, he's losing his power bit by bit. Yes. Uh, So some good little added tension there and some logical stuff that comes from it. And part of what the heroes are battling is the fatigue and weariness because they're staying, you know, they're trying to save everyone, you know. Mm. And I think this is the first crossover where you've got Oracle sort of coordinating things for the heroes, so... You know, that's a that's a bit of a change from the events that we've had before as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about what came from this. And I don't think much came from this at all. I mean, <laughs> I think, I mean, the only plot point that's really going is the fact that, uh, you know, Hal Jordan is, it's, it's a step on his road to redemption. And, mm, and so, yes. you know, I'm Hal Jordan and I'm a villain, you know, hi Hal. Uh, <laughs> this is one of those <laughs> steps that he has to do, uh, you yeah. know. Step one, sacrifice yourself to save the world. And okay. He died, but he, he gets better. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. So we'll see more steps from Hal in, in other events as we keep going. But uh, I, I have to mention there is little seeds that, uh, they're not planted in this story, but they were retroactively, um, picked up on. And that was in Kevin Smith's Green Arrow run where he brought, um, Oliver Queen back from the dead because mm-hmm. Oliver's dead at this point. So he basically said something happened in this story that allowed him to 
to return from the dead. And so that's that's you'll see more about Oliver Queen soon in uh, another event later. So mm. interesting, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think with the DC Universe about to launch JLA, I mean, this is it's, it's a transition time, so they weren't going to go all in on this crossover. So you know, it, of the types of crossover you have, this is just an occupier, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think it's a really well written one. I think yeah. Carl Keitzel has done a really good job writing this one, and you know, he's put the human in it all, which is yeah. is nice. Yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. agree. Yeah, excellent. So we'll have a promo and then we'll come back with the scoring. To tell you the story of Green Lantern is to tell you the story of the birth of a universe. The origins of DC as a whole. It's a magic emerald meteor from space in the 1940s. It's the establishment of the JSA. It's the birth of the Silver Age. It's the introduction of a universal police force. It's the formation of the JLA. It's the emergence of the multiverse. It's a crisis in both space and time. It's an emerald dawn. And it's an emerald twilight. It's the brightest day. And the blackest night. And the Lantern cast covers all of this and everything in between. We're Green Lantern's greatest advocates and fiercest critics. We've been fans for years, and it's the reason we're self-proclaimed Lanternologists. So find us on iTunes and Stitcher and give us a listen. Because the history of Green Lantern really is the history of the DC Universe. And we've got the interviews, commentaries, reviews, and more to back it up. Okay, so let's get into the scoring. And I'm going to kick off the eventiness scale of this. Uh, I'm giving The Final Night an 8 out of 10. Um, it's a story about a seemingly unstoppable spaceborne event that threatens to end life on Earth, and it brings together, you know, Justice Leaguers, past and, you know, future. Hint, hint. Uh, some, uh, the Legion of the Superheroes. You've got some cameos from the Justice Society. Um, you've even got an assist from Lex Luthor and the Sacrifice of Parallax. It's just, I, it's a big one. I, I really enjoy it. So I, I think eight is fair. Yeah, I'll echo your thoughts, but just go slightly more conservatively down to seven, because I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, this one, it plays with the DC Universe as it was at the time, but um, I guess because of what the books were doing, the DC Universe wasn't as big as it usually is. Like, there's there's no Titans involved. I think their title had just died as well, so yeah, uh-huh. things like that. But, you know, it, it's not... It's not in tons of books, but I think it's in a, in the right amount. So yeah, yeah. I'll give it seven. I, I, yeah, it's sure. it's good. Yeah. Um, so moving on to the writing side of it, well, I think this is really strongly written. Uh, Carl Kiesel, you know, he's he's a man known as an artist and mostly an inker, but you know, he writes the hell out of this and does mm-hmm. some really good moments. And you know, the plot is great throughout. I mean, each chapter has like, you know, this is what they're dealing with in this one, and, you know, the way the first chapter ends with the, all the lights going out, and it's like, oh, oh, you know, mm. their attempt to, to stop it before it got to Earth stopped, you, you know, it didn't work, and now they're all in the dark, and, you know, and then it shows how the world's coping, and, you know, just the structure, it's really nice, and the way the sun comes out at the end when everyone's happy, and, you know, yeah. it's all resolved. It's, it's got some good story structure, and really strong characterization amount, and you know, particularly from Alex Luthor. I mean, uh, Carl Kiesel writes a really strong villain, and, uh, you know, he doesn't get that much opportunity to do it. But, you know, uh, if you want more Carl Kiesel, check out the Superboy book of the era. He was writing that and doing a great job. Yeah. So I gave it an eight. Okay. Well, I gave it a nine because I, I, I guess there's also 
the sheen of it being a literally a new read for me. Um, so there's that. But yeah, I completely agree. It's a solid, well-told story. Uh, the main story is kept really compact in just four issues. And the first issue gets right into kicking the story off. There's, there's like very little wasted page space uh, at all. It just gets into it and it does it really well. Uh, and uh, again, I really enjoyed the human element uh, of this story, getting to see Joe Average reacting to what's going on in the world. So yeah, I, I, I loved it. It's a, it's a nine for me for writing. Nice. So, hmm, <laughs> art and covers. I'm going to give it a seven for the art and covers. It, it is decent, consistent, and serviceable throughout the miniseries. Uh, nothing really blew me away about it, um, though I am a fan of that double-page spread with Dusk and Phantom Stranger in issue three. My slight nitpick with it, and I feel slightly bad for saying this, is that the covers refer to week number, you know, whatever, like week one, Armageddon, week two, Chaos. Okay, so it's saying that on the covers, but when you look at the story itself and the back page matter, which shows like um, uh, communications from Star Labs, and they're saying that this all takes place over a couple of days, I just had a bit of a disconnect between what the cover's telling me and what's actually going on between the covers, and I know that's a massive nitpick. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it, it bugged me. It bugged me, sir. But, you know, other than that, I think, yeah, it, it was it's decent stuff. Um, there was nothing that, you know, turned me off, but there was nothing that made me go, oh, my gosh. It, yeah, it, it's good, solid stuff, so I'm giving it a seven. Oh, okay. Um, I, I love Stuart Immerman's art, and, it, you know, this was really early Stuart Immerman when no one really knew, you know, how fantastic mm-hmm. he was going to become, and, you know, he's such a stalwart of the industry. It's, you know, it's he's just announced his retirement. Everyone's kind of sad about that, but... Oh. Uh, yeah, uh, I love his art, and this was, you know, one of the earliest times I saw it. And you know, he does the whole crossover um, with Jose mm. Marzen Jr. on uh, inking, and it's just spectacular. I mean, it's you know, all the characters are beautifully done. The emotional moments are really, you know, solid. And I, I think something about his art back then—it just isn't flashy, but it, it does the job so well that you know exactly. the story, the story is so strongly supported by it all. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, uh, I love the art, so I'm going eight. Ooh, okay. Ooh, we're mixing mm-hmm. it up tonight. Yes. I am, yes. Um, now, Impact and Legacy, I, uh, you know, it's only, it's, it's the Hal Jordan story. That's about the only yeah. Impact and Legacy that's going on here. Um, yeah. but, I mean, I like the way this story fits in as, you know, a different type of event in amongst the, all the others. So we, you know, you know, most of the events are like, let's, you know, tell a story based on this guy coming to Earth to, you know, stuff everything up for everyone but this is (laughs) like you know you know what do the heroes do how do they be heroic in a situation where you know they're trying to save everyone and everyone's in the same boat like you know if the earth dies no one's no one's going to survive it's you know you know i think that's why it has to take place over two days because if it's any longer the earth would be cactus um (laughs) beyond repair so Mm -hmm. yeah so a five i think for legacy on this one what about you mike yeah i Almost the same. I gave it a six. Um, I think, as you said, it's mainly the the death of Hal is is the big thing. So the six I'm giving it is mainly for that impact. Um, as you said, for, for Hal's journey, um, it kind of redeemed him a little bit. Um, but yeah, it kind of also put a bow on the whole Hal Jordan story until Jeff Johns got to him. But yeah, as for Legacy, I can't think of anything 
that came out of it as a legacy. Other than that, to say it's it's a good addition to basically the the history and the mythos of the DCU in general. It's just it's a really solid story. So, but yeah, I, I think six for impact alone, basically. Yeah. Yeah, this is one. I really think this is a good one. It deserves to be back in print. Like there was mm. a trade ages ago, but you know, this it's the right size to put the whole thing in one tray. You know, a, a big fat uh, collection. You could have the whole crossover in one go, and everyone could read it. And there's a story that comes after it, which is um, basically how Jordan's funeral, which takes place the next month in Green Lantern number eighty-one. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's a real good coda to the story that you know. And in that, you see most people's you know. Conflicted reactions to the death of Hal Jordan, and you know, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it's a good one. I, I really, I really like it. Mm, so, same here. Anyway, we don't do our scoring alone. We've got a semi OCD on board, and this time it's Chad Bokelman from the Lantern Cast, um, and he does the Action Comics Weekly, occasionally podcast. Yeah, let's uh, have a have a listen to what Chad had to say. Hey, Mike and Paul. This is uh, Chad Bokelman from the Lantern Cast. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it uh, to talk a bit about Final Night. So, you know, writing the proverbial coattails of Zero Hour and featuring a cast of quintessentially 90s characters like Tachyon and Hitman and Guy Gardner Warrior. Well, there you have it. Final Night is both fun and can be at times exhausting. Now, let's start with a bit of the good. The plot is very fantastic for in nature. So an alien crash lands to Earth, heralding the arrival of a cosmic being about to destroy everything the heroes know and hold dear. Dusk equals Silver Surfer, the Sun Eater equals Galactus, and the entirety of the DCU heroes equals the Fantastic Four, I think. Well, it kind of falls apart there, but uh, you get my point. Plus, the tie-ins hold a great premise without locking the other DC creative teams into too much of a corner. You know, the sun has gone out, now tell your stories. Simple enough. I've actually made a point of collecting all of the tie-ins, though I honestly couldn't tell you why, as with any event, there are some great and others not so. But suffice it to say, the Parallax Emerald Knight number 1 and Green Lantern 81 are pivotal to the story. 81 in that it wraps up the story nicely. And between Green Lantern 80 with Dr. Light, Spectre 47 following the Spectre's attempts to keep Gaia alive a little longer, and the Adventures of Superman 540, it gives us a much much more information into the new Pharaoh. Final Night takes some interesting twists and turns outside the main plot that you may feel compelled to follow, but the main event itself is good enough to stay self-contained. And speaking of, a few other highlights are the Ray's tireless efforts to help a small Mexican town, the supernatural aspects involved in Spectre keeping Gaia alive, as well as the demon Etrigan's offer to heat the earth if they all sell them their souls, etc. That's all well and good. But despite the good, the series feels almost pointless. Not bad, not unimportant, not even badly put together, but sort of meh so let's get to the scores eventiness i'm giving it a four out of a ten the premise for crossovers is well founded and the execution is well done but when one considers all of the events in the history of dc final night hardly rises above the that chaotic foam of the ocean of dc events but it does sort of bob there so you know four out of ten Now, the writing. 
I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. Some of the characters you wouldn't think would mesh well, but they do. And for an event I feel meh about, to still come out the other side enjoying the story overall, that's darn good writing. Now the art, 8 out of 10. The art itself, by which I mean the pencils, are good. Even stunning in some select few spaces, but what I really feel shines here are the colors. And art encompasses all things pencils, inks, and colors. The sun is dying, or dead. What that means for lighting is an amazing challenge art-wise. There's fires, there's dimly lit areas, there's artificial lights, light reflecting off of snow, so on and so forth. I can't help but admire the creativity involved for the colorist in this story. And in some cases, even the anchor. And lastly, impact slash legacy. 7 out of 10. Now sure, this story goes towards redeeming Hal Jordan in a fashion, something that can be hotly debated, a la Darth Vader really truly being redeemed at the end of Return of the Jedi, but we won't go there. <laughs> and the impact to the GL mythos can be felt ongoing for a while. You know, how becoming the Spectre. And my personal favorite story, The Power of Ion, where Kyle becomes a god for a few, which is actually kicked off by the fact that he's absorbing the leftover energy in the sun from Parallax. Additionally, this story helps bring back Oliver Queen, albeit down the road a bit. But long term... This story didn't truly change things for very long. So, 7 out of 10 in the impact it had immediately following and the few years following, at least for the GL mythos, which is, of course, where I come from. But beyond that, 7 out of 10. But all in all, I love this story. And perhaps I'm scoring it higher than I initially thought, but uh, this is a fun story for a DC fan. But under true scrutiny... It's not a milestone in DC events, but an intriguing asterisk in the list. So if you want to know more about it, you read the mini blurb about it, you're curious about how becoming Parallax and redeeming himself and how that all happened, this is a great story. But beyond that, I don't know what to tell you. Thanks for having me on, guys. I hope you had a lot of fun discussing this story. I really enjoy it uh, as something to talk about when discussing the history of Green Lantern and the, the history of Hal Jordan and where all this stuff comes from. So enjoy the episode. Okay, so with Chad's score, let's uh, we'll have that down to uh, he gave it 13 out of 20 semi-OCD, so he doesn't get this full 40 that we get. Um, so we aggregate his score down to that. And Mike, you gave it a 30 out of 40, and mm -hmm. I gave it a 28 out of 40. So let's let, add all this up. Let's go 50. And we get 71. 71 Ooh. out of 100. So where does that sit on the ladder? Let's have a quick look. Uh, it's it's between uh, Eclipse of the Darkness Within and Underworld Unleashed. Wow. Which came in at 65 and 74 respectively. Respectively, so yeah, it's it's. I think that's that's decent. Yeah, yeah. I would buy everything seventy and above. I, I recommend. So yeah. I mean, they're all good stories. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, down in the sixties and the fifties, you're starting to get a bit dodgy, but then you know. <laughs> and then there are a couple of things down in the forties. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. But no, so seventy-one. That's that's decent. That's that's. I think that's a fair score for this. Yeah, and the best way to look at all these in context and see the scores together is to head over to Comicosity, where the ladder is maintained. So you, basically, you find the post for any of our DCOCD shows, um, and they're usually about uh, two thirds of the way down the page in the middle. And uh, you click on that, and then you'll see the ladder, and then you can say, okay, I want to sort by title, I want to sort by score, uh, what's the ranking? So you can see, okay, that's the worst one, that's the best one. Oh, look at that! And um, yeah, it, it's uh, quite a treat for the brain and mm. the eyes. Yes, <laughs> agreed. <laughs> so we've just got one bit of feedback. This is from uh, Dr. Ange, and he sent us an email about Kingdom Come, and he said, boy, these drive-by looks at events are both fascinating and frustrating. I would want to dissect this story from beginning to end, so in many ways I would have derailed the concept of the show had I been a guest. As you said, instead of learning the lesson of Kingdom Come, DC seemed to double down on the idea of the badass hero, from the violence of the New 52 to the horror porn of things like Forever Evil. It seemed like DC didn't learn. And worse, it seemed like this became a sort of prophecy, the Ragnarok of the DCU, with plots leaning into DC's ideas that this should happen. We even see this kind, this things like Lois being killed as the impetus for darker versions like Injustice. I'll also say that DC must have known that they had a hit on their hands before their because there were so many ads before this came out to build up anticipation. So I think even though it was an Elseworlds, it should rank high as an event. Glad you guys agreed. I'll add a couple more of my faves. The idea that Supergirl and Superboy went to the future was a good way for Wade to clear the decks a little, and having Supergirl and Brainiac 5 have a daughter who is a hero was very satisfying. I love how everyone is afraid of Captain Marvel and how Batman deduces he's actually just Billy, and Superman telling Billy that he alone should decide man's fate gave me chills. And of course, Marvel ultimately sacrificing the, saving the day by sacrificing himself makes perfect sense. Count up the times he brings the lightning, and he died in Billy form, died a human, which is wonderful. From there, I love how Norman has to talk Superman down in the UN. Forgive yourself. More chills. Crap, now I need to reread this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ange. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, we. I did feel like we did the slightest coverage of Kingdom Come compared to, you know, what could be done. Um, but, I mean, there are lots of events out uh, lots of podcasts out there doing, you know, better jobs at covering things in depth. And if you want to hear one about the final night, uh, the Lantern cast covered it on episode 250 with Ryan Daly. And that was a really good app and, uh, yeah, celebrated the book in much more detail. So, you know, and I think they were fans as well. Mm. Mm. So, yes, next time... On the feed, <laughs> we have more Waiting for Doom coming up. I think we'll be back with some John Arcudi goodness. And then we are looking at an event on the next DCOCD called Genesis. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to need lots of therapy for that one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll let the doctor know now, shall we? Give him a fair <laughs> warning. Yeah. Oh, dear. Anyway, if you want to get in touch with us, you can send us uh, emails to dcocdcast at gmail.com. And, of course, we're on Twitter at dcocdcast. So uh, check us out there. Send us your thoughts and comments. And, yeah, it's a fun old time. And, mm. yeah, if you like the show, tell people about it. Um, if you, We could do with some iTunes reviews on the Waiting for Doom feed about this because I don't think we've had any for a long time. No. And, and uh, we, we might make it worth your while if you pop us in a review if you haven't already. So... We might. <laughs> we'll sort something out, sure. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Mike. Thanks for joining me. And thanks, Chad, for joining us as well. And uh, we'll see you all again next time on DC OCD. DC OCD.